So we're uh, doing a series called Thankfulness over the next few weeks, uh, leading in, of course, Thanksgiving and a little bit after this month. And so the first message today that we want to look at is attitude of gratitude, having the right attitude towards giving God thanks and praising him for everything he's done. God has done really, really great things for all of us. Sometimes we don't know, uh, you know, to, to really pay attention to those things God has done for us, to really look at those things that God has blessed us with. So today we're going to look at some scripture here and talk about this idea of having the right attitude. Uh, in leadership, uh, we talk about, you know, thinking about how people, when you create a change, how that change can cause adverse effect on people. Uh, and a lot of times it's not the outward thing, it's the inward thing. It's how I perceive that change. It's how I look at that and like how I feel about that inside. It's not, it's not really the outside that affects us so much as the inside of us and how we uh, process that change. As I was mentioning in the first service, my bank, I won't mention the bank, but they changed the, how they do the app and the website. And I was like, I don't like this. This is, not, <laughs> this is not what I'm used to. Didn't work right and all these things and I don't even know what the benefit was, but they made those changes. Maybe you did too. Maybe you had the same bake as I do. But uh, I didn't really like it. But it was really me not doing what I was used to doing, and it was a change. It was different. I had to approach it with a different attitude. So we're going to look at Luke chapter, um, uh, chapter 18, verse 9 through 10. And we're also going to be looking at Luke chapter 17 here a little bit. But we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 10. And this is what it says. As to, says to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And so it's interesting because Jesus kind of reads the room, right? He's wise as a serpent. He understands what's going on. He understands the dynamics that were taking place. And he understands that there is this overconfidence of the Pharisees and those that he's talking to that they think they're better somehow than other people. They have this wrong attitude. They have this wrong attitude towards God and they have this wrong idea about themselves that they think they somehow they're better than other people. And so Jesus sees that and so he shares this story because he wants to counteract what the mindset is currently in the people's hearts and minds that he's talking to. As again, I'll just read it again. Verse 9, it says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable about two men who went to the temple and prayed, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And so he goes on in verse 11, he says this. He says, The Pharisee stood by, by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. So there's some things we need to learn about this Pharisee and how he prayed and how it's wrong. Why is it wrong? What is the issue here? The first thing in that scripture it says, as we look at these phrases here, he says that he stood by himself, that he, that he came over, and there was a group of people praying. There was probably people praying already. But there was this group of people praying, and they were coming, and they were kind of in the same general area. But what does it say about this Pharisee? He looks over and is like, oh, oh, 
And he comes over and he's standing here by himself. He's by himself standing alone. Why? Because he thinks he's better than everybody else. Because he's proud of who he is. And he thinks he's better. He deserves to be closer and be able to speak to God because he somehow arrived in his faith. And what is the issue of that? It's pride. It's us thinking we're better than somebody else. It's us thinking we're better, that we've done all these certain things, that we ourselves have done good things. That leads us down a dark road. When you have pride in your heart and you allow that pride to reign, it takes you down a path you shouldn't go because it's all about you now. It's all about who you are and what you've done. The other phrase here says, I am not like. Well, that's a dangerous, dangerous thought when we start thinking, well, at least I'm not like. We've done it, haven't we? For honest, well, at least I'm not like that. This is a dangerous place because it's disrespectful of those around us. When we start thinking that, well, at least I'm not like this. What does he say? This adulterous person, this person that's a robber, a thief. At least I'm not like them. At least I'm not like this group of people that are gathered around here to pray. It isn't our God. Isn't that what church should be? It should be full of sinners. It should be a place where we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. We're all sinners, right? And so we should all come with this attitude and this heart that I have messed up. I'm a sinner. I'm not, you know, over here looking at, looking at everybody else's life and looking at their past or looking at what they've done. But this is the heart of the attitude and the attitude of this Pharisee. They look at everybody else with disrespect, disregard of what God's been doing in their life, that they're here, they're praying. Something's going on. And he's like, I thank you that I'm not like them. Thank you, like I'm over here standing by myself and, and I'm not like these people, especially that tax collector. That tax collector, he's a traitor, right, you know? He's taking taxes from the people, you know? That's the dangerous part when we allow pride to get in our heart and mind. We start treating people differently. And you know what? It's not just a disrespect to other people. It's a disrespect to God because he's the creator and he loves everybody, Right? God came to save everyone, right? Anybody that chooses the name of Jesus Christ can be saved. God came into the world, or Jesus came into the world, that was the song we talked about, to save all, whoever believes, right? Whosoever will believe in his name, no matter what country, no matter what background, no matter what past, we are, have this opportunity to have fellowship with God himself. And it's not by our standards. It's not by the way we do things. It's because God loves his people. And he loves every one of us. And we're not better than that. We shouldn't be comparing ourselves with people. And that's, again, I'm not, I'm not going to go hard on that, but I will tell you that that's the danger of sometimes Facebook and things. Even if you're not saying it on Facebook, you're thinking it. Well, I'm better than that person, or that person's better than me. And Stop comparing yourself. We were never meant to compare ourselves. God is not in the business of looking at each one of us and saying, well, I like him. I don't like her. I, I like him over there. I, I, like, I don't like him. I, don't li- I like her, but I don't like him. God is not in the business of comparing us. God is looking for faithfulness. God is looking for faith. God is looking for us to put our trust in him. For us to recognize our state, that we need God. We need salvation. So I don't come into the prayer room with pride or disrespect to disrespect what God has done. 
In a way, I'm saying that God can't save these people. In a way, I'm saying that God is not powerful enough to save these people. These people are just lost. But I've seen the power of his salvation at work in my life. I know if he can save me, he can save anyone. This is what Paul talks about, too, that we have, he is one of the chief sinners, he says. He was one persecuting the church. And yet God changed his heart and changed his life, and he found salvation in Jesus Christ. And God took that heart that was so bent on destruction or destroying the church, the early church, to one that proclaimed that Jesus Christ was the only way, the only path to salvation. The last one here, I fast, I tithe. Well, this is, this is I want to speak to this in just a second, but this is about works and self-righteousness. It's like if I do all the religious customs, if I do all the religious things, then I'll be a good person. I'm a good person because I do all these works. I do all these things. I come to church. I do this or I do that. I give, I fast. You know, let's, let's talk about that for a second. You know, I always thought it'd be cool to have a t-shirt idea. You know, you, you know, this is this kind of, you know, I do believe that fasting, and there's been times where I've fasted. And I don't want to, you know, try to brag, my, brag about myself of fasting, but there are times where I feel like there are times when you're praying for something and you need a, a response from God and you fast. You give up a meal and you pray to God. But I thought it would be kind of funny to put a T-shirt together and says, I fast between meals because that's probably the typical way I fast. <laughs> I didn't say it was right. I just said I thought it was funny. <laughs> But let's talk about this. Let's talk about tithing, too. It's kind of funny. I had some people say, we don't talk about tithing much, but let me talk about it today a little bit. Tithing is a very important part of what we do in our faith. Our offerings, our tithe, when we give to God, that's showing that God has authority over our life. And we honor God with our tithes. And I know some of us, some of, us, some of you may have a hard time with that. You, you, you really struggle and what I would encourage you to do is step out of faith and start giving. And then start increasing that amount over time. Because God will take care of you. God is the provider. It's not, just, it's not about you and what you do. It's God has opened the doors for you to have what you have. It's not just that you somehow achieved and did these things. It's God giving you the gifts and the abilities and the talents to do what you do so that you can honor God. Trust him with your finances. Trust him. Step out on faith. And if you are not a current giver, we'd love for you to pray about what God wants you to give right now. And as you think about that, keep stepping out on faith. Keep trusting. But this is the thing, right? Fasting and tithing are not bad things. They're good things. But when they become rituals and traditions, or they may just come the thing that you think, and like, good, good job, Eric. You, you did your part. You did your amount then it's wrong because you haven't given that really to God and trusted God with it. Here's the other thing too is sometimes when we give, we don't give in a faith way. We give in a ritual or traditional way. Something that we can pat ourselves on the back and say, good job, you did great. But when we give in faith, we're giving that to God, not asking anything else about it. See, when I, I believe this. When, when we give, we should give and lose all control of what that money is. In other words, I can't weaponize it and say, well, you didn't do what I wanted it to be done, or you didn't do it this way. That's not faith. 
Faith is saying, God, I trust you with my finances, and I'm going to give you 10% of all I have. And I'm just going to trust you because I know you're the one that gives. You're my provider. But here in this way he was doing it, and we go back to fasting as well. I can talk about that. If you're just using fasting as a way to show your loyalty to Jesus, it's wrong. It's not about that. When you fast, you're doing it to grow closer to Christ, and you're doing it to seek his will. But what happened with this Pharisee? It was all about works. It was all about righteousness. I'm self-righteous over here. And if this is the thing for us too, we can, be, we can be a tither, we can be a giver, and look at this group and say, well, why aren't they doing their part? Maybe their faith isn't there yet. Maybe we need to pray. Maybe we need to educate. Maybe we need to encourage. But you be faithful. Because you know who I answer to? I don't answer to anybody else but God himself. God is the one that we answer to. God is the one that sees what we do in secret. You know, is it a faith that you have? Or is it just an obligation? Is it just a ritual? Is it just religious activity? Or is it a faith-based activity? I got a little wound up. Some of you got uncomfortable. I got uncomfortable. We got through it, didn't we? And I share that because it's true. I struggle with it too sometimes. It's not easy. Even fasting, it's like, I have to give up a meal? <laughs> I like to eat. <laughs> Especially good food, right? But I know this. You can't outgive God. With no matter what you give. You can't outgive God. Start small. See what God does. See what God does in your life. Moving on here, we go to the tax collector. And we're going to see this different attitude where we saw the Pharisee full of pride, judging others, looking down on others. And we see this person that was just doing things out of works and righteousness and look how cool I am, look how good I am. Now we're going to go to this tax collector. What was his stance? What was his approach to this prayer? Remember, Jesus is speaking to the people that are kind of getting confident in what their own abilities are. And I think us Christians, we can get overconfident sometimes in our, our, what we have done. And we need to be careful of that. Verse 13, it says, But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So let's dissect some of these phrases that we find in that verse there. First, he stood at a distance. Why was that? He stood at a distance because he didn't, he looked at himself and he was like, he came in with a humble heart, a humble attitude. He was humble. He had humbleness about him. He wasn't coming as arrogant and prideful. He was coming to this place of prayer to show that he loved God and he wanted to honor God. And he came with this understanding that he knew his past. He knew where he was from. And I think it's important for all of us Christians. You know, I've been a Christian for, you know, since nine years old. So it's been a long time, 40 years. Isn't that crazy? That doesn't seem weird. That seems weird saying that. That just seems weird. 40 years. Man, that's a long time. No wonder my, my son calls me old. <laughs> old man. Anyhow... You know, when we look at that, when we look at what humbleness is, it's letting go of that pride and understanding that 
that Jesus saved us. When I rededicated my life at 16 after I had kind of, you know, walked away from the path and I was having hatred and anger towards God because I felt like God didn't do what I wanted him to do and I felt like he didn't answer my prayers. That even though I did all that, God still forgave me. That God replaced the, the heart that I had and replaced it full of this love that he gave me for him and for others. Next one we look at as would not look up. He would not look up to heaven. Respect. He showed God so much respect. As I remember teaching our kids while we pray and while we bow our heads and close our eyes, we, I talked about you know, bowing your head is just that respect for God. It's understanding that, that God is, is worthy of our respect. He's worthy of us praying to and talking to. And as we close our eyes, it keeps us from being distracted by other things. Not that you always have to pray that way, but that's what I shared with our kids as we taught them to pray. So this tax collector is coming in and he's not looking up to heaven because he respects God. He fears God. Not in a scary way, but just, God, you're, you're faithful and I'm not. You're holy and I'm not. And he beats his chest. You know, I got to talk about it, right? I can't let it slide that we, you know, I'm a West Virginia fan. I see some West Virginia fans out here. We had a pretty good weekend this weekend. It was really good, right? I mean, we beat Pitt in basketball, and then we actually beat Oklahoma. So, I mean, for us, I mean, you guys expect that. You guys are Ohio State fans, the Ohio State, right? You guys, you guys just get that normal. That's normal life for you. For us, West Virginia fans, it's like, praise the Lord. <laughs> but, uh, anyhow... You see these athletes, no matter what sport it is, and they'll beat their chest, they'll act like they're the man, they're like, I did this, you know, I got this, you know. And you also see it, though, when they make a bad play, they'll be like, that's on me, that's on me. That's what I think that this, this tax collector, he's like, this is on me. I'm taking responsibility for my sinful ways. I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm a sinner. I'm coming in humbly. I'm respecting you. I understand that you have authority over my life. And I know I've messed up. I have taken things and done things against you. I'm to blame. He beat his chest, taking ownership of who he was, recognizing that he was a sinful person, See, God loves it when we, don't you love it too? Like, this is one thing that just, it's hard being a dad, especially if you have boys. It seems like boys struggle with this. Men struggle with this, right? I mean, it goes all the way back to the Adam and the Garden of, Garden of Eden, right? It's the biggest challenge that us men face is just taking ownership and saying, yeah, you know what? I did wrong. I did something wrong here. You know, Adam, he's like, He's blaming the, the woman. He's like, the woman you gave me, so he's blaming God. He's like, blaming everybody else, boy. Here's the fingers. I want it everywhere. Else. But this man, he's coming in, and he's saying, no. I know I've done wrong. I know I'm not perfect. What if we came and just lived our lives like that every day as Christians? That we live our, our life understanding that we've done wrong. We're not perfect. That the people we come in contact with the world, it's so easy to judge others in it. You look at them, they, look, they have all these weird ideas or these weird values, and it's like, what in the world? You know, where did this come from? But, you know, if we go back to who we were before we became a Christian or even as a Christian sometimes, because we're not, we're not perfect even as Christians, right? 
But if we really take a look and say, you know what? I'm going to own who I am. I'm going to take ownership of who I am. I know I'm not perfect. As we talk about attitude, I know I don't always have the best attitude. You can ask my family, I don't have always the best attitude, right? But if we had come in humbly and acknowledging that we're wrong, and we need to take responsibility. Continuing on, it says, God have mercy. I just think about this, and I think about position. It's almost like this Pharisee almost feels like he's on the same par with God. Like him and God are like pretty close, you know? It's like, God, you're here, but look at look how close I am. Look, look how close me and you are, you know? Man, this, this guy over here, he's like, God, you're here, and I'm here. And you know, even though, even though we don't like to think that way, that's the reality. That's the reality. But you know what? You know what bridges the gap between here and there? It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. God's here. You know, when we read about the Old Testament and people would go into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, they would have to make sure that they were clean, right? And they couldn't go in there. If they were defiled in any way, what would happen? They would just die. You know, they would actually tie a rope on their leg in case they died in there, that the other people could pull them out. It's kind of scary, right? Why was that? God just wanted people to die? No, but God was so pure. God's presence was so pure that he just couldn't, he can't take sin. He can't even be close to it. You know, if we thought about that, if that was the only way to get to God was by what we did, we could never achieve that. But thank Jesus Christ for coming and dying on a cross for our sins that we have that gap filled. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't look at it and recognize our position versus his position. He's holy, we're not. My righteousness comes by faith, and it comes by faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So the next one here, a sinner. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Recognizing that they, we are wrong. We are wrong. Do you think God is wrong? God's not wrong. You know, if we, if we are truth seekers, and this is what just fascinates me about the conversation Pilate and Jesus had. Jesus says, those that are on the side of truth hear my voice. All the confusion in the world, that's not God. God is truth. God is truth. And when we seek truth, we're going to find God. When we really seek truth. But we got to understand that it's, it's not God that's wrong. It's, it's our hearts. It's our attitude that's wrong. It's, it's the way we're looking at things. Because God is a staple. God is a constant. God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We need to know that. We need to hold on to that. So there's the part about attitude. Now let's move into gratitude. I mean, both are very connected here because you have to have the right attitude to be able to be grateful. You have to have the right heart to be grateful. By being, do you think, who's going to be more grateful in that story? Is it going to be the Pharisee that's going to be more grateful or is it going to be this tax collector? Well, the obvious answer is the tax collector. The tax collector is going to be more grateful, more thankful, more happy. This person is never going to find happiness because they are not even close to God. They think they are. In their mind, they are. But it's not about relationship with them. This is about relationship. This is about acknowledging where they are 
that they need a Savior, and they need God to save them. So let's move on and look at this other story here. In Luke chapter 18, verse 14, this miracle that takes place. Verse 14, I tell you that, oh, sorry, I guess I need to finish the story, and then we'll get to the next one, so sorry about that. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalted themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That is so true. As I mentioned before, if we would live our life as a humble person, what, what, what more difference could we make if we would just live humbly in our life? Stop comparing ourselves with people. Start looking at where we are compared to where God is. Recognizing our sin, taking ownership of our sin. We'd be in a lot better place. Moving on. Luke chapter 17, verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into the village, ten men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And so we have this story of these ten that had leprosy. And let me just, I'm sure you know about leprosy and heard about this. And you've heard other stories about leprosy. And there's times, there's one occasion where Jesus actually reached out and touched a man with leprosy. But leprosy was that skin disease that developed and it was really bad. It was really bad. And it's mentioned in, even in the Old Testament. So this is a disease that lasted for you know, at least two to 3,000 years before they found out there was certain antibiotics they could use to cure it. So looking at leprosy, you'd get this, uh, maybe it'd start out like a little rash or when your skin would start turning white and you'd have this sore develop. It was really a, a, a disease that would just eat away at who you were. And it'd work in your extremities, like your hands, your feet, and it would really just be devastating. And it was extremely contagious. So that you have, if you had leprosy, you would have to go and be by yourself. Or you'd have to find a community that other people had leprosy. And you'd have to stay with them. So that's why all these ten were together in this area. And that's why they had to call out. Because you couldn't just walk around people that were clean. And you'd actually have to say unclean, unclean. If you came around a corner or something, you'd have to say unclean, unclean. Imagine what that does to your psyche if you had leprosy. How alone you would feel. Really sad. That's why I think it's remarkable that Jesus took one and in another story and he reached out and touched them. But you had this group that had leprosy and they're calling out for this, you know, for, for Jesus to do something, to work a miracle in their life. And they're looking for, for somebody to save them, to spare them from this terrible, terrible disease, right? And so we move on in verse 14. It says, when he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. As they went, they were cleansed. And so as we think about and hear about that, why Jesus had them go to the priest was because they had to show themselves to be clean again. So they'd have to go to the priest and the priest would look at them, look at their skin and say, okay, now you're clean. You know, interesting, God had set this path up in the Old Testament. And really what it was is Jesus was using this opportunity to show that he was God by sending him to the priest because the priest knew their job was to look at the ceremonially unclean and be able to say that they were clean now. And so as they went on their way, just imagine this. You, you have leprosy, and as you're walking and taking steps close to this priest, you're beginning to be healed, and you were healed along the way. But here's the interesting part of the story. Verse 15, one of them, when they had saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. 
He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Again, a Samaritan were half-breeds. They were half-Jewish and half-something else, and they were outcasts. And that's why we get the Samaritan story, the Good Samaritan. Looking at some of those things that I think we should that stands out to us about this Samaritan that had leprosy and is now healed, his reaction to that and how he came. First, he came praising God with a loud voice. He was unashamed of what God had done. Let me speak to that just a little bit. We shouldn't be ashamed of the good things God's done in our life. We should be praising God for the good things he's done for us. Don't be ashamed of it. Tell people. You know, you know sometimes we, we think about you know, sharing our faith is so hard or so difficult. We need to make it simple. And God did make it simple. What did he call us to do is to be a witness. We're called to tell people what happened to us. You don't have to go into the theology. You don't have to talk a lot about, you know, what you believe or what scripture to find or anything like that. Tell what Jesus did in your life. What did Jesus do? You don't have to make it overcomplicated. That's what the devil will try to get you to do. You don't have to be a scholar to share your faith and be a witness for Christ. Show people, tell people what Christ did for you. As I mentioned before, the person I bought our house off, and it was just one of those God things, right, that God did for us to allow us to buy that house. But one of the things he did that was just so cool is he would take a metal detector to the beach, and people would be asking, are you finding anything cool? Do you find any treasures? And he's like, uh, yeah, I have a treasure for you. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I wanted to let you know about that. The greatest treasure I found is Jesus. I thought that was awesome. He doesn't even care if he finds anything. He just takes his metal detector out there as an opportunity to share his faith. It doesn't have to be anything huge or big. It's just you being available and telling your experience of what Jesus did in your life unashamed what else did he do he threw himself down he threw himself down at the feet of jesus to me that just speaks to surrender surrender you know i think about i think about me and what god's done in my life the bigger things that he's done in my life it's always been accompanied by surrender it's never been eric just take it even with my wife God spoke to me and said, Eric, Shelley's going to be your wife. The only thing is, he didn't tell her that. So, <laughs> not for a while at least. But why did he tell me that? Was it to try to make something happen? No. Nah. I should have learned that lesson, but I didn't. It took me a few years to learn that. Because I was trying really hard. I was trying to be a cool guy, do all these things. But see, when God tells you something, it's not for you to take charge. It's for you to recognize who's in authority. And it was for me to surrender. It was for me to say, no, God, I'm giving it back to you. Because if this is yours, I don't need to do anything about it. And when I came to that place of surrender, that's when God changed her heart. And she felt the same way. See, there's, even in ministry, I could go to different times in ministry, even, even in this position. I, I didn't feel like I should fight for this opportunity to become a senior pastor or try to connive or convince people to vote for me. There could have been people that I could have asked, hey, join the church. You think that's God? Is that a godly thing to do? No, it is not. 
surrender surrenders what we need to do we need to surrender to God because he's the one in authority we need to trust him with what he's doing and not try to take charge and I will tell you that I am at, at times good at that and then there's other times where I have a hard time letting go and just trusting him but the thing that we always should be mindful is surrender because he's in charge last thing is to thank him he thanked him and thanked him he had a heart of thankfulness all these other ones didn't come back. And this is what Jesus is surprised with, is all the other ones didn't come back with this Samaritan, this person that wasn't even really fully educated probably, didn't fully know, but he recognized that Jesus had this power. He recognized who Jesus was in this moment, and he wanted to come back and give thanks. He had a heart of thankfulness. And it makes me think about all the times that God does things in our life, and, and yet we, we don't thank him enough, right? We don't thank God for the little things. I mean, just yesterday, I was walking uh, down the basement, uh, downstairs, and I, I, I was barefoot, had jeans on, and all of a sudden, my big toe, and I will tell you, it's a big toe, even Shadow will say, I have big, big toes, okay? I don't know why, but I was just giving big toes. But it caught my jean on my left side of my leg, and I almost fell down. And I was like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for, not letting, you know, for me not falling. I appreciate that so much. But how many times do we not give God thanks for the, wonder how many times in our life, I do believe in guardian angels, and I believe they've been working in my life, and probably if I have one, which I'm sure I do, that, that it's, you know, he or she, or I guess it's not a he or she, it's an angel. So whatever that angel's job, they, they're probably not getting paid enough to take care of me. Because <laughs> I do stupid things all the time, right? And somehow God just watches out for me. You know, God takes care of me. God, God takes care of us all. Do you realize that even, even whether you're a believer or not a believer, I truly believe that God is working in people's lives today. That he's still working. Even if you rebel against him, he's still doing things in your life because he loves you and he's given you grace during this time to see him. For everyone. Because he loves us all. He cares for each one of us. God deserves to be thanks. He deserves to be praised. And as I think about that, he didn't just praise him, right? He came in praising God and with a loud voice. He made a loud sound because he was not ashamed and he was willing to surrender and he had a thankful heart because of what Jesus did. Continuing on the story here, it says, Jesus asked in verse 17, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Uh, Charles Brown, uh, Charles L. Brown came up with some of these excuses. And I wanted to share it with you today. And I think it's some of these things can speak to us. Uh, here's maybe one of those uh, people that were, had leprosy that were healed uh, maybe one said, uh, one waited to see if the cure was real. So they wanted to see, okay, is this cure real? Is it really going to be take effect? Is, is it really the, uh, true? It really happened? One waited to see if it would last. Like, is this going to be a temporary thing? Is it going to come back on and off? Or how is that going to work? Uh, one said he would see Jesus later. You know, I'll, I'll see Jesus later. He's in town. I'll, I'll go see my family first. I'll, I'll check on them. 
One decided that he had never had leprosy. I didn't have it. I, I knew I didn't have it. it. You know, it was just like a little thing on my skin, and it just disappeared. You know, I, I knew I was okay in the, in the beginning. One said he would have gotten gotten well anyhow. Like somehow he was putting some some cream his his uh, father-in-law gave him, and he was putting this cream on. It's like, oh, this is going to work. This is going to work. You know. One gave the glory to the priest, you know, giving glory to man, like, like somehow the priest did. The priest were, was the ones that did it. One said, well, Jesus didn't really do anything. He didn't do anything. He didn't touch me. He, he just said, go. He, it wasn't anything that he did. It's nothing that he had power in. He just said, go to the priest and show yourself. It, it wasn't really Jesus. One said, any rabbi could have done it. Any, any, any teacher, anybody that, that was a follower of God could have healed us. One said, I was already much improved. I was already getting better. I was already on the pathway to healing, and I would have been fine. See, this wrong mindset, if we broke it down to three things, I think it's this. Either we think that man did it, somehow man did it, and that, that's what happened. I did it. Whether that's I deserved it, whether that's I, I achieved, I, I worked for it. It just happened. It just happened. It just, that's, it, it, no, no rhyme or reason, it just happened. There's no purpose in it, no, no, nothing, it just happened. Isn't it interesting how we can easily just wash away anything that, that God does in our life? Do we really give thanks? Are we really gra- grateful for the things that God has done? Do we really give thanks to God? Every one of us woke up this morning came here to the church. Maybe, I don't know if your, your mood was right to come to church, if you kind of struggled. I don't know how many times you hit the snooze. But every one of us got here, right? Every one of us were given the opportunity to wake up from our sleep, to come out on a cold day and be able to worship together. Isn't that praiseworthy? Isn't that worth giving God praise? Yeah. Every day, every time, every opportunity that we're given, it's, it's awesome. As we close here, just a few scriptures here that I just want to share to maybe use it to give us that viewpoint. And one, or both of these you find in the Old Testament, one's First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 34. It says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Cry out, save us. God, our Savior, gather us and deliver us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord and the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praised the Lord. Some interesting things here that I take away is that, you know, they gave thanks to the Lord because they recognize that he is good. God is good. He is so good. He's been so good to me in my life. And I, I understand there's been times in my life where really, really, really hard. And got to the point where I thought about suicide. But God is good. God is so good. God is good. I don't know where you are right now. No matter what despair or hardship you're facing in this life currently, I want to tell you that God is good. 
Why is that? Because we go to the next statement. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. Isn't that amazing that this written in the Old Testament is encouraging us even now in the New Testament, 3,000 years later, probably close to that. And it should be encouraging us that his love goes on and on and on. And what does it else say? It endures. <laughs> Thank goodness for that, right? Thank goodness for me. <laughs> it endures. You know, Shelly has that kind of love for me. You know, it endures. <laughs> um, that's the kind of God we serve. And what does it say forever? It's not, a, it's not timed. It's, it's forever. Save us, our God, our Savior. Gather us together and deliver us from the nations that we may give you thanks for your holy name. God is a holy God. God is pure. God is truth. God is real. In every sense of that word. Last scripture. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. My challenge for you today, what I'd like to encourage you in, give God thanks. For some of you, you like to write journals, write some things down. What if you had a journal that you just wrote things that God did in your life? What if on your Facebook post this week, you just wrote down things you're thankful for because you're grateful for the God that you serve and you're thankful for the little blessings and the big blessings. Sometimes it marvels to me or it just... It, it, I just, I'm filled with amazement that God not only hears the big prayers I pray, but the small ones, the ones that seem insignificant that God even at times pays attention, or God does pay attention to them, but God answers those that I think are insignificant or small, or not that big a deal. God's like, I got you. I got you. Because he's a good, good father. Let's have this song of invitation. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, I want to invite you, because Jesus Christ came to save each and every one of us. And as we talk about our mission statement, we're here to love people. We're here to love those that don't know Christ and love each other. And we're also called to lead. We're called to set the tone. We're called to set the example. We're called to try to lead people to that relationship with Jesus. And of course, we're called to share the gospel. We're called to tell people about Jesus and that Jesus is the life giver. He's the one that gives life. So I invite you, if you don't know Jesus Christ, to accept him as Lord and Savior of your life. The other thing I would say to every one of us, though, let's praise the Lord. Let's give him thanks. Let's have the right attitude and be grateful for the great things he's done in our life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for allowing us to be here today. Again, I thank you for the wonderful music that we've heard. I thank you for just the time to be together. Lord, there's so much I want to thank you for in my life. The biggest one is allowing me to be used by you. When I felt like I was nothing, when I felt like I had nothing to offer anyone. Lord, you said, Eric, I'm going to use you. Help me, Lord, not to be ashamed. Help me to preach your gospel. Help me to represent you well. I thank you for 
people like Steve Schmidt that was a pastor here and that loved you and wanted this gospel message to be known. Lord, thank you for anyone here too that doesn't have a relationship with you. Thank you for them being here today. I pray that they feel loved because you do. And I pray, Lord, that we can make a difference in their life. Not because of who we are, but because of you being a part of it. And I pray that we can lead them. Lead them well to you. Because, Lord, you're the life giver. You're the one that has salvation. Thank you for loving us all. Thank you for being here today. And just help us as we worship you now. In your wonderful, precious name, I pray, Jesus. Amen.